And then perhaps in the last 30 years, the pendulums started swinging the other way. And that's probably our lifestyle choices. I mean, we were going inside with air conditioning. So it was, technology was driving us inside. We also had messages from skin cancer councils suggesting that skin cancers should be prevented. But now there's a lot more evidence coming out, scientific evidence backed by, by hard experimental data that really there is a balance. Perhaps the pendulum's gone too far. We should be coming back towards the middle and realising that there's insufficient sun exposure by most populations in the world and it is becoming a public health problem. Welcome to the Metagenics Institute podcast, a place where you can hear from leading experts in health and wellness, from scientists and researchers to internationally recognised clinicians. Enjoy this insightful conversation with host Nathan Rose. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Metagenics Institute podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Rose. And today we're going to look at sun exposure, the risks and benefits. And to do this, we have an expert in the field, Professor Prue Hart from Western Australia, Perth, Western Australia. Welcome, Prue. Thank you very much. Delighted. All right. Thank you. Um, well, it's a pretty sunny day here in Brisbane. It's always sunny in Perth, it seems. It, it has been raining a little bit over the past few years. Um, and we're here to talk about the, as I said, the benefits, but also the risks of sun exposure. And this is an area of expertise for you. So can you first describe what you do and um, what sort of research you're looking at? Thank you. Well, I'll introduce myself as a photoimmunologist. I study the effects of light on the immune system. We know the immune system controls or contributes to the control of all diseases, but also to our good health. Now, by light, I mean I'm particularly interested in sunlight hitting our skin, and then the effects on our immune system. And in the last two, uh, 10 years, I've run a trial in Perth giving ultraviolet light, that's one of the components of sunlight, to patients with the earliest form of MS or multiple sclerosis. And we've tried to deviate or, or prevent the further development of their disease. Interesting. So I can talk about mm, that. Yeah, we'll dive into that. I'm curious, first of all, what's the hi yeah the history um, of, like, I suppose through the, the ages, the value of sunlight was, um, you know, appreciated. There was the sanitariums back in the day. Um, obviously, in Australia in particular, you know, the UV can get pretty harsh and maybe the pendulum swung too far. I'm a child of the 80s and we used to, like, slather ourselves in coconut oil and <laughs> constantly get the sun and um, generate moles and things and we know the, and we'll get to that, like the risks of skin cancer and so forth, but, and then we'll get to this as well, like vitamin D was appreciated, but now we're realizing it's probably more than vitamin D. So can you maybe just paint a bit of a picture of the, the sort of history and the, um, yeah, the, the context of sunlight and I'm even curious as in your field is, has it been appreciated and is it starting to get recognized? You're, you're so true in what you said. hundred years ago, the benefits of sun exposure were, were really appreciated. So the Industrial Revolution 
children getting rickets. So they discovered it was because they weren't outside. They weren't making their vitamin D. But there are other benefits. And even then they were realizing there were these uh, benefits by going to sanitariums up in the mountains, uh, getting some sun exposure. And, and even dermatologists started using ultraviolet light for treatment of some skin conditions. And then perhaps in the last, you know, 30 years, the pendulums started swinging the other way. And that's probably our lifestyle choices. I mean, we were going inside with air conditioning. So it was um, technology was driving us inside. We also had messages from uh, skin cancers, skin cancer councils, um, suggesting that skin cancers should be prevented. But now there's a lot more evidence coming out, scientific evidence, backed by by hard experimental data, that really there is a balance. Perhaps the pendulum's gone too far. We should be coming back towards the middle and realising that there's insufficient sun exposure by, by most populations in the world, and it is becoming a public health problem. So hopefully we'll develop this in this podcast. Yeah. All right. So first of all, uh, the sun, what does it provide? It can, it, obviously, there's um, a whole spectrum of energy and light that comes through. And I think with my amateur understanding, that's important to understand the, the different flavors and types and doses and so forth to understand the, the physiological effects. So can you maybe yeah paint a picture of a sunrise, midday and sunset? What What's happening with the sun? <laughs> Well, the, the main benefit from the sun is obviously visible light. So that's uh, the sort of middle wavelengths that come through. Uh, the higher energy, lower wavelength light that we don't see is the ultraviolet light. Now, the really uh, shorter wavelengths is cut out by the ozone hole, but there is this uh, 5% of sunlight getting reaching the earth is in the ultraviolet range that's the the more energetic um high energy and those are the ones that can be damaging but can also be beneficial now on the other end of the visible light spectrum is the uh, infrared and some that gives us warmth and it also can give us uh, healing uh, uh, benefits I'm not an expert on that. I'm more worked on the ultraviolet or UV, as we call right. it, end, which is this sort of higher energy wavelengths. Yep. And does the ultraviolet, it obviously like peaks when the sun's at the zenith in the sky. Um, yes. And it wa waxes and wanes throughout the day. So what about the, as you mentioned, the, the uh, above the visible light, the like the near-infrared, does that, peak at other times of the day? Like, are there benefits from morning's exposure versus afternoon or evening and so forth? Um, this is this is a really important question. Uh, obviously, light in the middle, sunlight in the middle of the day is the best. It's overhead. You're getting all those on the periphery, wavelengths on the periphery, the ultraviolet and the infrared. And it, it's... It's this balance. It comes down, you know, people say, oh, you must avoid the middle of the day. Well, if you want some of the benefits of ultraviolet or infrared, you may have to have, you know, walk to the shops in the middle of the day in winter to get those benefits. 
And again, it comes down to personal choice and knowing your skin. I mean, the whole point of of the message that must get through is never get sunburned. Mm-hmm. So, and knowing your own skin. And it's the choice you make in the benefits versus the risk and the balance. Yep. Yep. Well said. Now, let's dive into some of the benefits or the, the uh, more the responses of um, sun exposure because we're just chatting off air. Um, we all probably know about vitamin D and probably once felt that was synonymous with sun exposure. Uh, but some of the trials, to be frank, are probably a little bit disappointing when we just administer vitamin D. I think it's got some good benefits, particularly like for immunity, and we can get to um, your work in autoimmunity. But um, I think now the research is pretty clear that sunlight is more than just vitamin D synthesis. So can you, and it's a pretty exciting and interesting molecules and responses both in the skin and in the blood. You've done a fair bit of work here. So can you, you start describing some of the other mediators that occur from sun exposure? Thank you. This is an area I love. It, it was naive of us really to think that there might be just one molecule made in the skin, which is vitamin D. We've evolved to have a whole system of molecules made that then communicate through our blood to the rest of the body to benefit different tissues and areas. And I think one of the big things made in the skin when it gets sunlight is some of those neurohormones. I mean, we, we feel so much better when we go out in the sun. And some of those neurohormones actually talk to the immune system as well. So think of all the immune diseases. So they, some of the mediators may be neurohormones. There's other molecules made in the skin. Uh, one's, one's a, a histidine derivative. That's an amino acid derivative. It actually has been shown, at least in mice, to get to the brain. It's, it's a uricanic acid molecule. It gets to the brain and helps learning and memory. Uh, so it's not only mood, learning and memory. It also can control immune cells. There are a number of other molecules found. We don't particularly know how important some of them are in different diseases. So that's why we often now send the message that if it's not vitamin D, because supplementation trials have shown it's not vitamin D, think outside the box. Step backwards. Think, well, if we don't precisely know what we could give in those other molecules, perhaps we just need a little bit more sun exposure when it's safe and as long as you don't get sunburned. And then you'll get the benefits of all the molecules as we discover more in science. And because, I mean, everyone thought you could have vitamin D, you have it in a pill and Bob's your uncle. But as we know now, vitamin D is not the answer. Supplementation trials have given us little benefit. Let's help ourselves and, and get a little bit more sun so we get all those other molecules the skin is making. Yep. Discovered and still to be discovered. Another one is nitric oxide. That's the one that helps our cardiovascular health. I mean, we know that sun exposure onto the skin will cause release of nitric oxide from the skin's stores of nitric oxide and affect our cardiovascular system. What other ones we're still to discover? Excellent. Yeah, I think the the nitric oxide to me seems pretty compelling, which we'll get to in a moment. Uh, So, yeah, you're mounting a pretty good campaign of safe sun exposure. Obviously, 
I think there yeah, that the real message is obviously don't get burnt, which I want to use as a segue to now look at the, uh, and you've published some papers on this around the, sort of the risks and benefits of sun exposure. As you said, it's quite nuanced and um, maybe depending on skin type and so forth. So let's first of all look at some of the, you know, risks, um, why there is such a, in a, here in Australia, like a, a understandable strong campaign around protecting ourselves from skin cancers. But can you, yeah, dive into the nuance around um, skin cancer melanomas and the creatinocyte uh, cancers? It's, it's around dosing and timing and but, so forth. Yeah, let's just think of skin cancers, though. The, the skin has evolved. Humans have evolved uh, to, to be aware of the sun. We've evolved to develop pale skin. We all started in the Middle East and Africa with dark skin. We evolved to get pale skin, to get the benefits of the sun. Right, skin cancers might be a side effect, but we're still getting all these internal benefits. If you think of the, the nasties or the, the risks of, of sun exposure, they're all on the skin. But yet you're getting all the benefits are internal. We know the signals go beyond the skin. So if we think of, of skin cancers, yes, melanoma is dangerous and we've got to be very wary of melanomas. But only 60% of melanomas are due to sun exposure. The, the other skin cancers, we know that Australians by the age of 70, two-thirds of us are going to have some skin cancer. You can get them cut off, but... If you've got skin cancers, you're going to live longer. You're going to have better health. And that's being shown now in a number of aging studies. It's people with more skin cancers have better health, have lived longer. They have better cardiovascular. This is where the personal choice comes in. Because I think when you reach 70, you're prepared to go and have a few skin cancers burned out. Be vigilant, though, about melanomas. But the health economics is now telling us that the benefits to our health internally, systemically, far outweigh the cost of, of removing some skin cancers. So I, I think we've also got, so that's really just putting things in perspective. And we've also got to say to ourselves, well, evolution has been really interesting because the skin knows how to cope with sun on, on Yes, there's damage to skin cells within an hour of being exposed to the sun. But we have a lot of DNA repair mechanisms in our skin. We have an innate immune system that destroys damaged cells. We know that skin is continually sloughing, sloughing off. Think, think of uh, dry skin. You've got scales. That's your skin sloughing off. We've got, we've got protective mechanisms built in as well to cope with UV damaged skin. So a competent immune system actually recognizes UV damaged skin in the, in the skin and helps prevent the development then of skin cancer. It's only people who are on immunosuppressants such as a transplant patient. Transplant patient has been given immunosuppressants so their system, their immune system doesn't reject a transplant organ. It's those sort of patients that should really stay out of the sun. 
But otherwise, most most of us, we've all got a competent immune system that copes with with UV damaged cells. Right. So it's it it's again a balance. It, the, I mean, the system's not perfect, but you've got to put it in in balance with the benefits as well. Yeah. So what about skin types then? I think I saw some of your papers. Maybe that was around vitamin D synthesis, like the um, having more melanin didn't really impair your ability as we once thought to make vitamin D. So what about on the flip side, like fair skinned people, do they still need to be extra vigilant around sun exposure? I I think this this equation of risks and benefits, if you've got pale skin, there is the balance is more risk than benefit. But again, it's knowing your skin. It's knowing your skin uh, and never getting sunburned. It's, yes, fair-skinned fair people must be more vigilant. They must be more diligent with sunscreen use. But darker-skinned people, you will still make your vitamin D. Hopefully, you'll still make these other molecules. Again, the science hasn't given us the answer there. It's, again, knowing your skin. Yeah. Um, Great. It, it's, yes. Makes sense. All right. Well, You've touched upon some of the benefits. I just want to maybe underscore some of those because, I, yeah, when I read your papers, it was pretty profound showing that um, the benefits of uh, ultraviolet radiation, yes, this exposed area of the skin, it sort of sounds like it it does get more wear and tear, but it's also evolved mechanisms to sort of, you know, regenerate. Uh, but things like, yeah, all-cause mortality, um, certain cancers, cardiovascular disease, uh mood and cognition, autism. Some of this is around also timing and exposure as well. So, yeah, um, can you please expand on some of these areas and and um, the connection there between sun exposure? I suppose the, 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 the underlying message here, though, is skin cancers are on the skin, but the skin talks to the lymph nodes that drain skin that then goes systemically. So really most internal conditions can benefit in some way from sun exposure. So all-cause mortality, that study uh, came out of Sweden, first of all, that if people with non, they they either went to sun parlours or European holidays, they lived longer. Now that's just been confirmed in using data from the UK Biobank, that there again, the more sun exposure people have in their life, the longer they live by a couple of years. Uh, and when we think of why they might live longer, well, obviously cardiovascular disease is the main killer of humans. So it's probably benefits through the cardiovascular system that are behind that the increase uh, in living longer. Cardiovascular di- disease is a very interesting one. It's thought that um, nitric oxide release from the skin may help lower blood pressure, yet you've got less hypertension, and the hypertension um, will benefit those conditions. It's also been shown this is independent of temperature, so that's really important, this effect. Some of the other studies, and of course, um, nitric oxide and the cardiovascular system, we then start thinking about uh, metabolic health. 
because the world, we've all got this uh, vast increase in type 2 diabetes with our Western diets, and it's thought that sun exposure can contribute to lowering the rate of, of type 2 diabetes. And there's more controlled trials are required to um, confirm that. You asked about other conditions. Um, autism, There's uh, there are thoughts that sun exposure of the mothers when they were pregnant may benefit will lower the, the development risk for autism. We did a study on language development of children and we monitored the vitamin D level of the mothers and found uh, if the higher vitamin D, uh, they had better language development in the children. But again, in that case, we didn't know what was the agent because vitamin D is really just a proxy of being out in the sun. And I think that's the supplementation trials have told us that, that you can measure vitamin D, but it's really just a proxy that you've been in the sun and is not causative at all. Well, there's no evidence of that. As I said, autoimmunity is, is really one of the biggest ones that can benefit from sun exposure. And it's not only in the development of the disease, it's actually in the treatment of the disease as well, because... A lot of studies have, have followed sun exposure in children and or and by by measuring vitamin D as a proxy and then development of disease in adulthood and followed it. I th I think sun exposure is benefiting all stages because perhaps in utero, in childhood, and then in adulthood. So. But in, with autoimmunity, I think the one with the strongest link to sun exposure is multiple sclerosis. And if I can just develop that a bit further, I mean, people twigged onto this perhaps 30 years ago because we have what we call latitude gradients for all the autoimmune diseases. So that populations living further from the equator have a higher incidence of the disease. So... Countries like um, Scandinavia and Scotland have higher incidences of autoimmune diseases than, than those near the tropics. And we see that in Australia. There's a sevenfold gradient difference in multiple sclerosis between North Queensland and Tasmania, with Tasmania being the MS capital of Australia. So that, that gave us a clue that that sunlight exposure was important. And again, uh, with multiple sclerosis, there've been a lot of vitamin D trials around the world and there's been no recognized benefit of vitamin D supplementation. So again, you take the step back and say, well, there's an association further from the equator. Uh, there's an association of more disease, but if vitamin D hasn't given benefit, there must be other UV factors that are important. And I think at this stage, I perhaps should even say we've all got enough sufficient vitamin D. The interpretation of the supplementation trials is that we've all got, vitamin D is important. Biochemistry tells us that. It's important for absorption of calcium 
from our gut, but we've all got enough vitamin D, or 95% of us have. And you give more, you're not going to get any benefit at all. It's something else from sun that's important. And that's what's titratable and what we should be trying to discover. Not only multiple sclerosis, uh, type 1 diabetes is another one, autoimmune disease, where there's a very important link. There's a latitude gradient. And in Perth, we've studied um, sun exposure by mothers when they're pregnant, uh, particularly in the third trimester, and the children in the first year of life. And it can um, have some influence on the development of type 1 diabetes. Wow. That's in uh, WA. We studied 2,000 boys. This is using big data obtained by from health departments. Sun exposure being so important in autoimmunity, it, it really says the pathway stimulated from the skin by sun exposure and the importance of the immune system uh, is affecting the development and then the progression of these autoimmune diseases. Yeah. Did you, um, you said earlier, I think you've, you've started doing some trials with UV radiation. I work, I use a, I'm involved with a company in the US called Cytokine and they ran a trial for COVID, for treatment of COVID, patients in hospital with COVID with ultraviolet light. So these patients were hospitalized. So they did have a comorbidity. They were sick enough to be in hospital. They were treated with lamps above them. They were lying in the bed. Uh, so only 28% of the body surface area was covered by ultraviolet light. They were given it every day for a week and the death rate at 28 days was followed. So those that did not get UV, they just got a sham light above them. They, there was something like 43% um, death, whereas those that got the UV, it was about 7% death. Wow. So they now have money from the US government to increase that trial to 300 people and to investigate further what's involved and, and what is the, why is it pre preventing death in the COVID patients? So that's COVID. We, we believe people die of COVID because of the cytokine storm. So that's part of the immune system being hyperactivated by the virus. Now, is this a mechanism by which UV controls the immune system? We really don't know. And um, obviously further science is, studies are needed. So really the trials that I know of giving more, giving ultraviolet light to diseases that are ongoing is, is the COVID, the MS, the trial that we ran in Perth, Australia, is now being hopefully replicated in the US. We have a webinar being presented to all MS centres in the US uh, in the first week of June, uh, looking for them all to re help recruit. And with that, there'll be home phototherapy. It will, with the trial we ran here in Australia, all the participants came to a dermatologist's rooms and were given phototherapy as is used ethically and for treatment of skin conditions where it, and the and and should I say they got 24 treatments 
and they loved it. They, not one participant missed a visit. Hmm. And of course, the, um, for blood pressure. I know trials around the world are happening in a number of places where they're giving um, ultraviolet light now for obviously trying to reduce blood pressure because if you can reduce people's blood pressure by three or four millimetres of mercury, you can have a huge effect on on um, health and um, the economics of that. Yeah. And and just just considering also, you you all the people listening are, are clever. They know in summer people's blood pressure is lower by four or five millimeters of mercury. We know if you followed someone's immune system during seasons, the the immune mediators change such that we've evolved that less UV ultraviolet light in winter. When days are shorter, there's less UV in sunlight. Our immune system adapts. We we have different mediators that can cope with winter viruses. Cope. It's it's really this nature is telling us to control our immune system artificially if we can't do it <laughs> through sun. We've got to help ourselves that way. And the other really interesting one is 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 in Iran. So. Before the Shah was thrown out in 1979, women were free to expose their arms and yes. to the sun. Yep. And yet then the Shah uh, was thrown out and, and a more um, severe regiment came in and women had to cover up. And now they've got an increase in autoimmune disease. That's these natural experiments of mm. telling us yep. how important some sun exposure is. Out of curiosity, of they um, can can use animal studies uh, to find the the mediators. Like, is it nitric oxide? Like, um, can you you know block receptors or enhance and so forth? Just out of mechanistic curiosity, uh, is there animal models and things going on that's hopefully elucidating the mechanisms? Yes, yes. Mice though are not humans, and obviously vice versa, because the skin in mice, I mean, it's covered in hair. Mm. They're nocturnal. They have a thinner skin structure than humans. Because, so there are differences, but, but one must complement the other. I mean, animal experiments tell us a lot, and I've done, I've been an experimental immunologist for, for decades, but ultimately we must move to human skin. Yes. I mean, we use the best experimental models we can. Uh, and again, every experiment in humans is, is rigidly, must be rigidly ethically controlled. So it's not as though you can willy-nilly go irradiating people. Um, and that's probably why we, with our study in MS patients, we used the dermatology clinic to deliver the ultraviolet light right. as the safest form. Not a single problem at all. When we give ultraviolet light in the clinic, which must always be sub-erythin, so no redness of the skin at all, uh, and with the sub-erythemal amounts, the benefits are there. Mm. That's the important thing. And that's the message people 
Go out in the sun, but never get sunburned. Make sure it's always suburophemal. You don't get redness of the skin and you'll get huge benefit. Yeah, that's it. So with these trials, what would that, does that sort of replicate these devices like 10 minutes of sunshine or 20 or, and how do you, how did you monitor it with people with different skin types? Was there a blanket prescription or? In, in my trial, it was up to the dermatologist to decide on the starting dose. Now the, we, the skin also adapts to sun. You know, we all tan, that's an adaption. So in a trial giving UV, the, uh, patients got an increasing dose. So in, in my trial, they were only given one to three minutes per dose, per Yes, per dose. Right. They were in the three times a week uh, and they'd be in the, it'll be full body just with the eyes covered and their genitals covered. One to three minutes per per session and it, but it was increasing because the skin adapts. You should be aiming for about 70% of the amount that would give a sunburn. Right. Or a a redness of the skin, an erythema. Yep. And so not long, not long at all. Interesting. It's just getting out there. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of, you've uh, published some data or some information I found fascinating around the use of sunscreen. Again, um, that's probably not as binary as what I once thought. Um, And there's some nuances there. So I'll just read off a couple sort of facts and then get you to elaborate. So a couple things... Um, sunscreens weren't particularly effective at preventing sunburn outside of laboratory, laboratory conditions. And there's evidence that they, their use does inhibit melanoma and, uh, squamous cell cancer, carcinoma, but not basal cell carcinoma. But the other big kicker, um, was that sunscreen doesn't impair vitamin D synthesis. I'd frankly probably been avoiding excessive use of sunscreen because I was of the mindset all before I knew about all the other benefits, like I want to get my vitamin D up and I'll, I'll get some sun first, then cover up. But it sounds like you still can get sun, yeah, vitamin D from whilst using sunscreen. Is that because we're not putting it on properly? Yeah. Can you explain some of these uh, nuances? I think that's the thoughts that uh, people aren't putting sunscreen on as religiously as, as you should. Uh, you, you might put it on, then go out in the sun, but you don't and go to the beach, but you don't put it on again. Look, sunscreen, it has pros and cons. The trouble with sunscreen, it also gives you this false sense of security. I think the bigger message is never get sunburned. Yeah. Because that's what leads to melanomas. It's people who have had something like six sunburns in the last decade are the ones that with the highest risk melanoma development and for which you must be diligent and know your skin. The, the other message, I mean, I, I use sunscreen if I'm going out for the day on a boat or whatever. I, for short times going, putting out the washing or whatever, I, I wouldn't wear sunscreen. I, I, that, that you get the benefits of, of, of sun exposure. I think it's, again, it's personal choice. Yeah. I mean, sunscreens, you will, they, the evidence suggests you still make your vitamin D. But again, what is that vitamin D doing for you? 
it, it's really, it's it's maintaining that crucial amount you you must have in your body, but the topping up of it. Well, it says we we've all gotten up the supplementation trials and all the experts are now interpreting that saying there's no use topping it up because you've already got enough. Yeah. What about then? Uh, sunscreens. Yes. Uh, what about with the um? Maybe it's too soon. The other other putative, if you want to call that, mediators at this stage, like the nitric oxide and so forth. Do we know if sunscreens blunt any of that? I don't think those studies have been done. I'm I'm not an expert. I yeah. I yeah. couldn't really comment on that. I would say it will be like the production of vitamin D. I predict you will still get those molecules made. Again, sunscreen use is is personal choice and often better safe than sorry. Yes. Yeah. Um what about other th- Things like UV, UV index. Um, do do you think that's important to be mindful of it, or again, it's just you know, you go outside. I can often almost predict how much UV there is. I think maybe on sometimes cloudy days, I probably underestimate it. But um, again, is it like just don't get burnt? Um, short. I, I sort of think like get as much exposure to as much area in the shortest amount of time to get the benefits. Um, and they get sunburnt type of thing. Uh, if the UV, is there any benefits to, to monitoring the UV index? Look, I, I, I don't fully understand the UV index. I know they, um, have set it at three. A lot of top scientists and clinicians say, well, why is it set at three? I mean, there's no evidence that it's three, not four or five. I know those arguments have happened are happening. I think the most important thing is still to know your skin. As I keep saying, I mean, the, the, the risks are really skin associated, like skin cancers. The, the benefits are more internal and we know molecules and cells are, are moving from the skin to the draining nodes, lymph nodes, and into the blood and circulation and those are where all the benefits will happen. I think an UV index is is helpful, but do, who who knows how to interpret it? I don't think anyone does. Okay. And I know, for example, I mean, in Australia, it could get up to eight or so. In the UK, it might only get up to eight one day of the week, but it it really. It's not telling us anything. Okay, that's interesting. It, yeah, I was a bit skeptical for some time. Because everybody's skin type, yeah. everybody's skin type is different. Yeah. And regardless, regardless of the UV index, people should still wear a hat. The places where you get most of your skin cancers is your head and neck. So wear a hat. That's and that's my message. <laughs> Yeah. Expose your arms, your legs, but wear a hat. Yeah. Well said. Um, couple other things I just want to circle back to. Um, just out of curiosity, I saw I think you've done some work or highlighted that uh ultraviolet radiation has an effect on the microbiome. That's not just getting yeah. sun on your on your like abdomen, is it? It's like 
there's uh, systemic benefits. What happens to the microbiome from UV radiation? This this is this is a really interesting thing. We didn't expect it. So we had a PhD student who was comparing vitamin D with ultraviolet light. So on the on the gut microbiome. So just to fill everyone in, there's it's very topical at the moment to think that your gut bugs may be sending signals to most tissues of the body to influence most diseases. And this comes to development of autism, to um, affecting multiple sclerosis, to type 1 diabetes. So we've done a bit of work on signals from the gut through to the neuroendocrine system and, and the like. But the study we were doing, we were giving mice vitamin D through their oral, through their um, diet and we were radiating mice on the skin so that was giving molecules on different sides of the gut wall uh -huh. so the vitamin D <laughs> was obviously from one side of the gut and the in the UV from the other and it was more a comparison but then we found these very different effects from UV given to the skin affecting uh, our gut microbiome and it was giving beneficial effects. It was increasing the firmicutes, which is a type of um, group of bacteria that make short chain fatty acids like butyrate that then affect other systems. Very soluble, gets up to the brain. Um, and it increased the firmicutes and reduced the bacteroidetes. It was very different to the vitamin D story in the mice. Um, and it's now been confirmed in humans that three irradiations of humans uh, on their skin with uh, ultraviolet light gave the same beneficial effects on the microbiome. I know it's, it shows how our body, all the organs communicate with each other. And we've really got to think of the body as a whole. And so you, it's not surprising then if you think that way, that if you UV irradiate, subarethemal amounts, only three times these Canadians gave it to the human skin, and they got these same changes in the gut microbiota. And it was, it really also underlines the importance of the ability of sunlight on our skin affecting our our body systems and both in health, maintaining health and in controlling some of these diseases. Fascinating. So very cool. I mean the MS story is developing further. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's thought there's quite a lot of gut communication to the central nervous system. Yeah, that was actually my, my final area I wanted to explore. It looks like you've done some work outside of, of just ultraviolet radiation on the, the risk factors and uh, the sex differences in MS. Can you maybe just elaborate on what you've discovered and yeah, where, where it's headed? Well, this is, this is the wonderful work being done by Jonathan Leffler and Stephanie Trend. Um, autoimmune diseases are becoming more and more female associated, which is which is really interesting because it was not like that. Oh really? 
50, 80 years ago, there was a almost a one is to one, but now it's about three is to one. Huh. And it's something we don't fully understand. And it it's, I mean, is, is it molecules from the X chromosome or coded by the X chromosome? Or is it the sex hormones that control this? So this is all ongoing research that's happening. But as far as MS or multiple sclerosis goes, in the last year, it's thought that Epstein-Barr virus infection really does play a crucial role in the development of MS or the timing of when the MS is clinically evident. Because people in the army were followed, in, this is in the US, people in the army were followed. You know, we're talking about 20,000 or so. And when they had an, e an Epstein-Barr virus infection in their adolescence or, or, or older, uh, it often triggered the development of multiple sclerosis. So it's really quite interesting. So we've been studying the effects of sex hormones and the products of the X chromosome, the sex hormones and the X chromosome on on the, the viral infection and obviously the antibodies the viral infection produces because it's then thought that if you make antibodies to Epstein-Barr virus, those antibodies may cross-react with some central nervous system antigens expressed in the brain and it may be molecular mimicry that's involved in the development of MX. So, and then the immune system obviously becomes a big player of controlling the extent and whether it's short term or develops longer term. It's, I mean, there's, it's a very exciting area. Yeah. There's a lot of research to be done and it would be wonderful if we could control that disease in no, the sure. initiation, yep. the development and the progression. So, out of curiosity, I know, uh, I think there's some research like in uh, Alzheimer's where they've given um, antivirals because there's a link between, I think, herpes and it's um, reduced the risk or the outcome of the disease. Is there any research yet on, like, quote unquote, treating like the, the viral infection of the immune system in established multiple sclerosis? Yes, they're trying to make a, vac a vaccine against Epstein-Barr virus. I don't know. And uh, again, it becomes the question of prevention versus treatment. Maybe the, it would have been better earlier, but we treatment's very much the focus. And if they could have a vaccine to boost the immune system to then destroy the chronically viral infected cells, which are the B lymphocytes, it may halt the disease, perhaps cure the disease. That would be the long-term goal. But something to keep it in check better, if you can understand the causative agent, wonderful. Because, I mean, that's what UV might be doing in treatment. It, it's sort of halting the progression. But really, we want to then cure it as well. Yeah. Exciting stuff. So, so again, another exciting area. Yeah. So, yeah, to wrap up then, um, what 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 are you excited about? What's on the future? Um, are you doing more research in ultraviolet radiation, more in MS? What, what are you excited about? Both. Both. <laughs> I'm very excited. Um, 
because we need evidence, evidence and evidence of the story of where that balance is in risk and benefits of sun exposure. It really is quite evident, though, that insufficient sun exposure is a real public health problem. The pendulum needs to swing back more to the centre, that, you know, people used to like sun exposure. My mother had a Mothercraft book published in 1936 that said put babies, remove some of the you know, the, the wrapping from babies gives them a little bit of sun. Admittedly, they thought it was vitamin D back in the 40s and 50s, but, uh, you know, we just need that pendulum to come back more in the middle. And it will be, we've got to consider sun exposure for health as well as disease. You know, it's really important in our day-to-day health, our mood, our immune system in an, in an equilibrium, uh, all our body systems in an equilibrium, our microbiota in our gut, uh, they're all affect by, affected by those signals from the skin. So let's get a bit more sun exposure, but never get sunburned. Perfect. Well said. You've uh, inspired me and I'm sure many others. And yeah, I think, pardon the pun, shed light on all this to, to give show there's nuance and yeah, hopefully the pendulum will swing back and the sensible sun exposure will be appreciated. Pru, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'm, I'm thrilled that you, you agreed. I know you had your important bridge club, uh, your open day, so you got that out of the way. I hope that went well. Um, but it's always, I'm always thrilled when researchers just are so eager to, to share their information and you've really been evident with that today. So I really appreciate it. Good luck with the future. And um, yeah, I, I'd like to catch up maybe in the future and see what new uh, insights we've, we've gleaned from sun exposure and, and also multiple sclerosis. Thank you very much. Love sharing my my passion. For useful links and resources, make sure you check out the show notes. The information provided in this episode is for educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for health and medical care. Always consult a healthcare professional for medical advice.